Hey, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. This is Anthony. And this is James. And today we're doing an episode on Parasite, which was one of the best films made in the last decade for sure. It was a surprise hit. It was mostly unknown. It won the Palme d'Or, the prestigious award at Cannes Film Festival. It also won four Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best International Feature. This deserved all the accolades it received because it's easily one of the few masterpieces of the 21st century, and it's an unforgettable film. And Bong Joon-ho, the director, he's been a, a staple in Korean cinema for a long time. He did um, Mother, he did Snowpiercer, The Host, which I think is one of the best monster movies ever made. Okja. And Okja, yeah. So he's he's been very prevalent, and he's been sneaking into American cinemas, especially with Snowpiercer and Okja. He loves to tell these fantastical stories to talk about incredibly important themes like social class and the meat industry. And so he's always throwing these sociopolitical themes and environmentalist themes into his films in a brilliant way. And I don't think I can't think of another filmmaker that tries to talk about the world at large with every one of his films. Like and like I think maybe Adam McKay now with the big short and I think his new uh, film that stars DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. Oh yeah, his like recent th string of films. Yeah, so yeah. his recent films are going to be uh, very sociopolitical based. Like I think that one's on about about climate change. And yeah, Bong Joon Ho wrote and directed this film. It's about greed and class discrimination that threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. And Bong actually pulled inspiration from his real life because he used to work as a tutor for a wealthy family in his youth when he was in college, and he often felt like he was spying on them in a way. And that's kind of what you feel like when you're watching this, the the Kim family, because majority of the world, you know, we're, we're not in that 1%. We're somewhere hovering around the poverty or middle class line. And this film really dives into this theme and reality of drastic social class differences in, in most first world countries and in, in wealthy nations. And many countries have immense social income inequality gaps from rich to poor. The best way you can support Raiders of the Lost podcast is go to patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast and become a patron today. Patrons get special perks like personalized messages, personalized video messages, and top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast. The idea of Kevin being a tutor to initiate the uh, infiltration by the Kim family into the Park family, that seemed to be the only possible route for Bong Joon-ho because from his experience, like you said, of being a tutor, he understood that that was the only way where the, a high-class family and a low-class family would ever intersect. And that's pretty much the only way their their lives would be intertwined um, in a work relationship rather than any, any kind of social relationship. And he often said that it's, it's, a, it's a sad realization of the uh, society that he grew up in, um, but it is obviously the only way that it was believable for this family to come into the, the lives of the other family. Well, I think there are two ways. So like, like you just said, just to play off that, when Mr. Kim gives Mr. Park that fake card for the care, and he says this is like a, a, a service for people like your status that need drivers or housekeepers or, or tutors or anything like that. So that's, like you said, that's the only way for them to integrate into these upper class uh, populations and families and people. But also there's a paradox where the Kim's friend, Min, who early on in the film brings them the, the stone, um, he's well off. He's, he's pretty wealthy or seems to be. And he's the original tutor of the Parks family. That's like a paradox of where wealthy and lower class people, upper class and lower class people do have friendships, but in a way where there's still that boundary of wealth gap. And actually that um, situation with Min is actually a, a fantastic example of the first instance of uh, portraying the social divide between the two classes because Min asks Kevin to tutor die, who he has a crush on and wants to eventually marry when she becomes of age. And he, and when Kevin asks him, why not ask um, your college friends? Because they're obviously intelligent and, and, uh, Min says he doesn't want to ask like those drunk college assholes because they'll try to like sleep with the high or or steal her, steal her away from him. So this is a situation where Min thinks so lowly of Kevin that he doesn't think he's a threat to steal this girl from him, and that's why he goes to Kevin to hide, to take the job from him as his successor because he doesn't see that uh, uh, Kevin could ever take his place, which is the first instance of showing the perception of the higher class towards the lower class. It's a great point. And just to do a little back, just a quick background on South Korea, because this film is about the, the social class divide. And um, in South Korea, um, 
it's not there isn't a widespread poverty, but there is about fifteen percent um, poverty within the entire country, which is very high. Um, and also, it's difficult for non-educated people to find good jobs because the market is so competitive out there. There are so many um, people vying for positions that only well-educated people tend to have good jobs. For example, the Kim family and this—they they're hired part-time by the pizza place to make boxes. That's actually a very common thing in South Korea for people to be employed part-time. So um, they're often on temporary contracts with low wages and no benefits. So it's very difficult for people who are in those situations to get, ever get out of them because of the way that system is in place where in America, yes, there are people who are freelancers and there are temporary contracts, but it's not as widespread as it is in Korea. So that makes it difficult for people to move up the ladder. And also, 50% uh, of all elderly people in South Korea live in poverty, which is extremely high. So uh, which is a sad thing for a country where the older people get, the more likely they are to be poor. That's a little background on the social class divide in South Korea, which Bong Joon-ho based his entire story upon and talking about these issues. Yeah, and also South Korea, they do have a wealth gap and the poverty rate, you said it's about 15%, similar to America, which is about nine, 9 to 10%. Yeah. I think I think 9.2% was in 2020. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's been going down about 1% gradually since like 2016. But again, both these countries, high poverty rate and... But I think the the social class differences, like you were talking about in South Korea, are pretty drastic. And another example about social class difference in South Korea is North Koreans obviously try. Some of them try to escape if they can from that country, and they they obviously have to escape only to South Korea. It's the only place they can really go. And I believe once any person that escapes from North Korea sets foot in South Korea, they become citizens of South Korea automatically. Mm. However, once you're still North Korean to all South Koreans, and you are literally the bottom, bottom of the class chain in this hierarchy of wealth and social status. And you are almost below, near below human compared to the other South Koreans because you're from North Korea. So that's another example of this immense social class divide in South Korea. Yeah, and it's also the perception that lower class citizens have on the ultra wealthy where they, they kind of in, live in fear of them. And intimidation. Bong Joon Ho actually has a, a quote in an interview where um, one of the inspirations for making this movie was that when he was shooting one of his previous films, and mind you, this guy is a very prominent filmmaker. He's not super wealthy, but he's very successful in that country, but he's not ultra wealthy. He's not that 1%. And so he was filming a scene in a very ultra rich house. And he said that he was so intimidated and afraid of causing harm to any item in the house that he his hands were shaking when he went to throw something in the trash can because the trash can was some kind of robotic automated it lifted the lid on its own and it was super quiet and it apparently cost like 2500 American dollars to to own and so he even Bong Joon-ho he showed that he had a sense of fear and intimidation just being in this ultra wealthy house hey listen up aspiring screenwriters and filmmakers this episode is sponsored by writer duet the new standard for screenwriting software. So if you go to writerduet.com slash raiders and sign up, you will get a special 30-day free trial of any of their subscriptions. And we know many of you listening are aspiring filmmakers and writers. James and I like to write in our free time. And if you know screenwriting, you know that the formatting is very complicated and complex. And first-time writers, no one will read your screenplay if it is not in the correct format for screenwriting. So definitely get on this. So many programs out there they cost so much money. It's kind of like a wall between you and trying to finish that script. But Writer Duet makes this process of writing a screenplay streamlined, easy. It has a cloud-based access from any device, anywhere. You can be co-writing a script with a friend on your iPhones from across the world. Famous screenwriters are using Writer Duet. You have Jim Ools, who wrote Fight Club, is using it. Christopher Ford, who writes Spider-Man Homecoming, is using it. This has become a new staple to the industry. And it's free to sign up with Ryder Duet using our special promo, RyderDuet.com slash Raiders for a special 30-day free trial from any one of Ryder Duet subscriptions. And if you go to RyderDuet.com slash Raiders this week and sign up, we will personally read the first 10 pages of your screenplay. And just to stay on this topic for a little bit longer, there are other um Countries like Mexico, who has a poverty rate of 43% in 2016, and India, who has a poverty rate of 66%. Two-thirds of the population in India is yeah. living in poverty, and over 30% of their population is living on a on an income of $1.25 a day or less. And so 
there are more drastic examples of this immense social class and wealth gap. And uh, obviously, this film deals with the theme of capitalism. And I think it's it's safe to argue that it's good and bad. There are pros to con- and cons, just like any socio political economic system. And and I think I think capitalism is a lot more complicated and nuanced than people may generally understand. And just to de- define capitalism, so we have a, a good definition of it to talk about this film. Capitalism is an economic system based on the private ownership of the means of production in their operation or profit. Central characteristics of capitalism include capital accumulation, competitive markets, price system, private property, and the recognition of property rights, voluntary exchange, and wage labor. When capitalism goes astray and becomes a negative thing is when um, government deregulates it. And that's when corporations can become... Uh, villains to society. So uh, capitalism can work as long as the regulations are strict and adhere the rules in place for these corporations and the wealthy. So the, you, in order to have a successful capitalistic society, you need heavy regulation. Yeah, but that seldom ever happens. I mean, yeah. what's good about capitalism? Major driver of innovation, wealth, prosperity. I mean, we wouldn't have smartphones. This podcast wouldn't exist. We wouldn't have the technology we have today without capitalism. However, it does it can lead to obviously inequality, market failure, um, extreme damages to the natural environment, encourages mass consumption of goods and material items, and also boom or bust economic cycles. So obviously depressions and everything like that, and which can hit people horribly hard. And so there are pros and cons to capitalism. And I think Bong Joon-ho, especially from being from South Korea and first world nations, he recognizes the serious inequalities that result from corrupt capitalistic systems and social class systems. Yeah, exactly. And the Kim family represent the entire lower class of the society where uh, this family is stuck here. They live in a semi-basement where uh, it's very common for people in that society to live in these kinds of apartments where it's half underground and half above ground. And it's it's an unbelievably metaphorical image when you see um, the contrast of their apartment and the Parks apartment, the Parks house. And Bong Joon-ho felt that it was important for these two classes to intersect, which set up the entire story. But it, he's he's really great with how he wrote this story because it has a very long second act where the first act establishes the Kim family um, coming up with a plan. And then the, the plan itself being carried out takes about 40 minutes. And so it's a slowly it's rolled out story, which is so brilliant as it unfolds. And it's very unpredictable. So he captured what he wanted to do in an amazing way. The funny thing is how you just said that the, the the Kim family is coming up with this plan. I don't even think they're coming up with it. It seems like they've done it so many times before that it's just like once the chain reaction starts, every other part falls into place. So it's almost like they don't even know that they're doing it. That's why I think uh, when Kevin first gets into the house and he like gets the opportunity, oh, I can get Jessica in here to work too. And then it's kind of spiraling where, and then the conversations they have, like when they're, when they're at the driver's buffet, like, oh, we're eating at a driver's buffet. This yeah, yeah. is amazing. This is the this is the luxury. And they're talking about how like, how ignorant and gullible all these rich people are. It sounds like this is a scheme that they've been doing their entire lives, something they've been doing since the kids were children, obviously. And also what's interesting is there's a line where Mr. Kim is is listening to his daughter Jessica talk on the phone as a fake representative of that company, The Care, and she's doing a great job acting. And then he says something like, she would make a great con woman someday. It's like, they don't think that they're con men, which is ironic because they are conning this family out of their wealth and into the, getting into their lives. But I think because of the social class divide and how they perceive the upper class and wealthy, they don't think that they're classified as con people. They're just trying to get by. That's exactly the point. The point because they, in that situation, these kinds of people, the only way they can ever find any kind of success is if they try to cheat the system. Hence, um, Jessica helping forge Kevin's documents and lying about themselves and and cheating each other person out of their job to hire the next member of the family because that might be the only way that um, a lower class citizen can ever rise the ranks is to kind of fabricate themselves and and cut around corners and maybe try to cause other people to lose their positions. So I think that Bong Joon-ho is saying, these people aren't bad, they're desperate and they're just trying to survive. And so they're putting them, they're, they're putting their, their family before everyone else, which you can't shame them for, you know what I mean? They're in the situation where they can barely get by. And so I think it's, people can look at them as villains, but I don't think they're villains at all. And what's 
so great about this film, the cinematography and the imagery. There's so much symbolism just right in front of your face if you're looking. And I think one of the most powerful ways to show this is obviously the contrasting of of the semi-basement apartment, which these do exist in South Korea. They're very common. Thousands and thousands of people live in them. And then the contrast with this epic mansion of of the parks. In the opening shot of the movie, it's brilliant. It's that out that look of from the Kim's basement, the, from their semi-basement, through this dirty glass window. There's drying socks hanging on like a light. And then you see their perception, their view of this this rectangle window is into their in their impoverished neighborhood. And then contrast that with the the parks and their mansion. They also have a beautiful, they have a rectangle view outside of their living room. But what do they see? It's enormous. And they see all this green, their beautiful backyard, the sunlight's coming in and these bushes. And like, I think all this green is probably representing money or cash or, or wealth versus the Kims have no green in their home, no green in their life at all. So there's a lot of contrasting symbolism. Let's just stay on this topic yeah. for a while. So another example is from the Kim's window. What do they see? They see guys, drunk guys, pissing out on the street near their near their home, and the parks. What they see, like you said, is the greenery, but also you, you hear wind and you hear birds, and it's peaceful. You don't hear any city noises. You all you hear is nature. So it feels like you're in a different country. And also, I love this shot when Kevin first goes to the park's house and. He buzzes the door and um, the housekeeper um, opens the door and it opens itself and it just like cracks open. And immediately what he, the first thing you see are bamboo branches with leaves and you can hear the wind. Right when the door opens, you hear like the peaceful, calming wind, which is something he's never experienced before. And that shows the representation of the park's world compared to the Kim's world. And also the the opening shot of the Kim's window and then it, it, the camera pulls down and reveals Kevin on his phone. That is a bookend to the film where it start. The film starts with that shot where it starts at the window and shows Kevin, and he's on his phone looking for a Wi-Fi signal. And then the very final shot of the movie is uh, a bookend of that, and which the all the events of the film take place. And then we have another shot of the window at nighttime, and then the camera pulls down, and Kevin is um, looking at the letter that he's writing to his father. And so it's an amazing bookend for the film. And I think another great piece of symbolism in in one of the most important thematic pieces of the film is the viewing stone which is the stone that min comes and brings to the family earlier on in the film and this gift in this viewing stone min tells him is supposed to represent material wealth and and prosper prosperity which he gives to the to the kim family because he knows that they are going through tough times and they can't find work and the cool thing about this this viewing stone is the theme of it changes throughout the film because earlier on in the film when he brings it to their house it, it represents what they want their prosperity they just they want jobs they they want wealth and so they think that this this stone will bring it to them and eventually they all work their way into the park family's house and they all have jobs they all have income coming in and so it's exactly what they want but obviously the rainstorm which happens about halfway through the film is the main catalyst of the of the change of the mood of the film and in the in the drives of the of the characters because then it changes to this this prosperity is now drowning in this underwater apartment it's their their hopes and dreams of prosperity have just basically drowned away but it's it's not until then kevin rescues this stone in it instead of it being a representation of their prosperity and wealth it, it becomes a representation of their desire for wealth and greed and to keep that wealth and it's it's so representative because kevin then takes that stone to go to the basement of the park's house to kill the man that's in the basement with his wife with the stone that brought them prosperity this episode of razor loss podcast is brought to you by our good friends at manscape.com use coupon code raiders of the loss to get 20 percent off and free shipping from manscape.com two million men are using manscape products they have amazing stuff to use for grooming don't let lockdown make you forget how to take care of yourself you we we got to keep grooming all you fellas out there ladies these are amazing gifts for for the men in your life the lawnmower 3.0 groomer has a built-in light it's waterproof you can use it in the shower it's soft to the touch the deodorizers boxer briefs deodor um, t-shirts they've sent us everything their cologne we love it all definitely check out manscape.com get your products from there using our coupon code raiders of the lost for 20 percent off and free shipping thank you to everyone who has been using our code so that's one of the meetings and I agree with you 100%. I also think that the stone has another meaning. And I think that the second meaning for the stone is a metaphor for plants. And so if you watch this movie, um, 
the characters talk about making plans often, especially Mr. Kim, where um, when Kevin first gets um, the opportunity to interview Mr. Kim's proud, he's like, oh, you have a plan. And then um, several other times in, until the climax of the film, people mention plans, especially Mr. Kim talking about making a plan. And then even after this, even after the storm and after they um, tie that, the couple up in the basement, um, Mr. Kim says he has a plan. And Jessica and the others want to know what his plan is. But after the rainstorm, uh, Mr. Kim decides that it's best not to have a plan. And so I think the, the storm met, was a, a metaphor for making a plan for your life. And because once they got the stone, they started making these schemes and making these plans to infiltrate the Park family. And so the stone helped them begin that process. And then after the rainstorm flooded their apartment and pretty much ruined their lives... Mr. Kim realized that having a plan is not a good idea because it never life never works out the way you want it to for people like them. And so that's why the afterwards the rock is drowned in the water because plans for them always feel always fail for people like them. But then after that, Kevin makes the conscious decision to reject his father's um, words of not having a plan, and he takes the rock with a new plan to kill the couple in the basement. And so I think the the rock represents motivation and scheming and making plans for yourself. And it's also to stay on the topic of plans. It's really ironic because Mr. Kim tells his son Kevin that, like you said, making a plan is pointless because it never works out. And then ironically, at the end of the film, obviously we're assuming you've all seen this, a so spoilers alert, where Kevin makes the plan that he's going to become very wealthy. And we have this like dreamlike sequence where he gets the wealth and he gets the house and he gets to save his father basically from the basement of of that mansion. Again, like you said, it's a bookend of the film where we're panning down back to Kevin, despite this dreamlike sequence, he's back into the bottom of that semi-basement apartment. I think it would take like something like 540 years of him working his jobs just to acquire that wealth, assuming that he can never get higher education. Yeah. And so it's ironic that he's making a plan despite knowing and his father telling him that plans will never work out. Yeah, that's exactly right. And a lot of people, the ending can be divisive, People think that it did work out in the end, but Bong Joon-ho is all, has stated that it's not going to work out. And the reason why it's actually very easy and simple to understand is because if the if Kevin's plan at the end to become wealthy and buy the house, if that was going to work out, then Bong Joon-ho would have just cut when the family embraces in the back in the backyard of the house, and that would have been the end of the film. So why would Bong Joon-ho go back to the apartment? and show Kevin destitute again if that wasn't his eventual outcome to always be destitute. So Bong Joon-ho has, has stated that that is, in fact, the ending. And, um, I mean, you can still interpret it however you want, but ultimately his uh, the whole theme of plans for this movie is Bong Joon-ho is saying that for people who grow up in the lowest class of this society, no matter what plans you make, you have no chance of getting out. And so that's what the Kim family represent, that no matter what they do, no matter what schemes they make, and they'll never grow out of their lower class struggle. There's one more contrasting symbolism between the two houses. And, and so both sets, there's basically only two sets to this movie, pretty much. It's the Kim apartment in their neighborhood, which is actually built on a big water tank. And then the park house was actually constructed from scratch on a set. And there's actually like green screen behind the house and set. And they just painted in the, the atmosphere. Bong Joon-ho was actually, um, he helped design the park house with an architect. So everything you see in the park house, it's very planned and meticulous. And nothing is there by accident. It's not like a production designer was like, oh, let's just put this there and that there. Everything was by design with, park, with Bong Joon-ho. Um, instilling what he wanted in the, in the construction of the house. And the first contrasting symbolism you see between the Parks and, and the Kims is, um, so the window, the, Kim, the window to the Kims apartment, that skinny rectangle window, uh, which is just above the ground. And this is where they see the street from. And now the entrance to the park house, when you walk up the first set of steps um, and you enter the main room, which is like the living room and then the kitchens afterward, there is uh, a rectangle window on the floor and so that is a contrast to the kim's house so they both have these um long rectangular windows on the bit on the floor levels and then and then another huge moment of symbolism is uh, throughout the entire architecture of the house uh, bong joon ho carefully placed lines 
And these lines, they're architecturally natural within the construct of the house, like whether it be like a window pane or the 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 handles of the fridge or or a hallway which divides a room. You'll watch if you watch this film, uh, characters are placed on either side of the line depending on their social class. So the Kims in the parks are oftentimes always divided by these architectural lines to depict a division of social status between both families. And I, I think another example might be the Ramdan scene where Madam in the in the park family are coming back from the was supposed to be the camping trip, but it flooded. The river floods. So they're coming back, and obviously the the Kims and and then uh, the the former housekeeper and her husband are fighting over over the cell phone. And there's food everywhere. And then she says they're eight minutes away, and she wants to make Ramdan. And Ramdan was actually created by the the wording was created by the translator of the film, and it's a dish consisting of two different types of instant noodles. Uh, as well as spicy seafood flavor and black beans, which I, you can obviously say is a, a common meal for obviously these families in poverty or someone living in poverty that can't afford something better. And then they also put sirloin in it, like very expensive high-end meat. So maybe it's a combination of, of these two social clashes in a dish, and then who consumes it are the wealthy people. That's exactly, that's a great point. I love that. That's that's fantastic. That's absolutely true. It has to be. I think that's right. And one of my favorite hidden clues in this film actually pertains to the dining room table. Now, if you watch this movie closely, watch it on second viewings, and I'll put photos up for you to see. Um, in the first half of the film, the dining room table has six chairs at it because there are secretly six people in the house. So there's the Park family. There's four of them. And then um, Moon Guang, the housekeeper. And then Moon Guang's husband, Gun Se, who is secretly living in the basement. So there are six people in the house. And now in the second half of the film, after the, the Kims have infiltrated the home... There are now 10 chairs in the dining room table because now it's both the Kim family, the Park family, and the couple in the basement. So now there are 10 people in the house. And that relates directly to the theme of, of Parasite, which is obviously the title of the film. And a parasite is an organism that lives on or in a host organism and gets its food from or at the expense of its host. And this is a blatant metaphor of both the Kim family as well as the original housekeeper and her husband at the park's house in the basement, Gunsa. It, it's so metaphorical because both these families, because they're lower class, like we've been talking about this whole time, they're they're trying to get what they can from the wealthy, from the elite. The only way, like you said earlier, to escape their social class is to try to suck from suck the wealth from the, the upper class people. That's absolutely true, but I also think the parks are 100% parasites too um, because each member of the park family depends on someone else. So they... So whether it be uh, a housekeeper to cook and clean for them or an educator to teach their kids or um, Mr. Park needing a driver, everyone is a parasite in their own different way because they all need someone else to survive. And so I think Bong Joon-ho is saying that I think to an extent everyone is a parasite for some reason. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, maybe. So I, I, so I think the the Park family definitely are parasites too. I think everyone in this movie is a parasite. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. And then there's even earlier examples of the Kim family being parasites, the opening of the movie where they're trying to steal people's Wi-Fi. That's just yeah. a parasitic theme as well, where they're all oh, they changed the passer, but I found coffee land, coffee land 2G over here. Yeah. So they're, they're parasites in pretty much every facet of their life. Yeah. And they allow the extermination gas to go into their house, just like the stink. So they're kind of like stink bugs of society where they're being exterminated. You know what I mean? So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's the easiest metaphor to make for this movie. But I think that Bong Joon-ho is actually saying that, to a certain extent, everyone is a parasite. This episode is also sponsored by MoviePosters.com. Use our special coupon code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. MoviePosters.com is the number one site to get your posters online today. Don't go to Amazon. I know it's free shipping, but trust me, the quality is not the same standard as MoviePosters.com. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see that our set is decked out with these incredible posters. High quality. The printing is top notch. They have all sorts of sizes of posters. Pretty much every movie you can imagine. Uh, they have framing, backlighting. They can put glass on your posters. If you're a fan of movies and you're a fan of TV shows, there is no better way to show that love and express that passion you have than to deck your house out with as many posters as possible. Use our special coupon code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. Again, Raiders15 from MoviePosters.com. Yeah, one of my favorite themes of this film too is is smell and the sense of smell and how it relays to these social classes. And there, are obviously, a few instances in the film where the wealthy 
notice the smell of the Kims and the other lower class characters in the film in general. And the first time we see this is the, the Sun Da Song when he smells both Mr. Kim and Chung Sook in the kitchen while they have infiltrated the house. Mr. Park in the car with Mr. Kim and also with Madam in the car. Madam and Mr. Park on the couch while the Kims are hiding under the table, which again, that's another metaphor for how they live in the semi-basement apartment. Talking about subways, how the people on subways smell like that too. And when another, the final example is when Mr. Kim is reaching for those car keys underneath the dead man after everyone's been murdered. Mm. And he's clenching his nostrils like he can barely stand the smell of being near this lower class citizen. And then this leads to Mr. Kim killing Mr. Park. So it's a very powerful moment. And I, I think this symbolism of upper class people smelling the lower class people, obviously it means in the film that all these lower class people smell the same. They smell of poverty. They smell of, of being poor. And it reminds me so much of the Matrix, the sense of the, the, the stench, the, the, the smell in Parasite reminds me so much of the Matrix when Agent Smith is talking to Morpheus and he's comparing humans to a virus and he's talking about how he can't stand it. And he's like, it's the smell and he can't he can't bear it anymore. And he needs to escape this place full of these lower beings compared to him, just like how the parks in Parasite can smell the poverty and lower class citizens in the film. That's exactly true, because what he's saying is that high class people are in a way repulsed by the lower class and the smell is a perfect way to translate that on film but also the parks they are repulsed by every other um facet of being a lower class citizen and this is actually why they fire the other people who were once working for them so the parks fire people for what's considered lower class behaviors so for example uh, the parks fire their previous driver because He's being promiscuous and think he's using drugs, which is something that the high class would associate with being a lower class. And then also they fire their housekeeper because they believe she's sickly, which is also a way they perceive the lower class because the lower class people have poorer health. And so they're oftentimes more sick than the higher class people. And so they reject these kinds of social behaviors that they object to lower class citizens in a way. But also in a way... The reason that these parasites and these people are able to come into their lives is because they say multiple times how gullible rich people are and yeah. how they're always pretending to be nice or they're acting more nice than than usual because they're so rich. And, and like Chung Sook says in the film, like, if I had all this money, I'd be nice. I'd be even nicer, too. And it leads to that that belt of trust that Madam explains where the the word of mouth and reputation of these people, they, they'll take it despite not fully knowing these people. And I think it's because they don't want to do the work themselves and they will gladly have anybody else that does a decent job just take over all the cares of their life. Yeah, she says that, because Mr. Kim says um, they're rich, but they're nice. And then Chung Sook says they're nice because they're rich. So that's exactly the point. And what happens in this film, which is very interesting, is uh, the Kims, as they enter this high society world, they're not part of it, but... I mean, they aren't high class anymore still, but they're, they're entered this world and they think that they, they, they act like they've moved up a ladder. This is why when Moon Guang shows up at the house asking for help, uh, Chunk Sook is very dismissive of her at first. And she even like, when she finally does let her in, the way she's talking to Moon Guang is like so dismissive and horribly, like she looks down on her. So, and then when she finds the husband, uh, it, it's it's like it's as though Chung Sook forgot that a month ago they were destitute as well, and she's looking down on this couple for tr doing their best to survive in the under the circumstances. And so you can see how they have become corrupted by the success they're having, and they're already beginning to view these lowly citizens as less than, even though they have lied to reach this level of moderate success. They're already forgetting who they once were. And so Bong Joon-ho is showing that you can easily be corrupted by, by wealth and by power. Yeah, the poor turn on each other as soon as they get just a little bit of privilege, which yeah. is it's, it's wild. And let's stay on this topic of the basement for a little bit. And like, I want to talk real quick. And how do the parks not know about this basement in case you're wondering, in case you missed it in the film? And it's mentioned by the former housekeeper that the previous owner, the architect, was embarrassed to reveal that a, such part of the house existed 
And because it's commonly used, yes, as a bunker for safety, but also for people to hide to evade loan sharks or tax collectors or or people you owe debts to. So that's a, a reason why they said a lot of wealthy homes have these secret bunkers in the bottom of the basement. So the parks never knew about it or were never told when the house is being sold to them. This basement, again, it's a representation of where the parasite lives. And obviously, Gunsell lives there. He's been there for over four years living there. And the housekeeper, his wife, has been feeding him and he comes out like a parasite to feast and and live off the nourishment of this wealthy host that he's living off off of and ironically mr kim eventually becomes the same character even though when he's down there he says what kind of person would live in a place like this so he becomes a parasite himself eventually yeah that's exactly right and the basement is a representation i think of the kim's apartment the semi-basement in um the ghetto because it is a very similar situation where they they lived in a base. They are living in a basement still, but then they look down on this person who is actually living in a legitimate basement to a house, and it sh- it shows the social divide um, set up in one construction in this one house where the parks have such high class, and they had no idea that um, someone so low was living right beneath their feet. Yeah, there are a few other examples of basically you could say elevation in terms of showing the hierarchical structure of these vastly different social classes. And obviously living in the basement apartment, living in the basement of the parks house versus the parks, living above the floor, living above ground at the top of the city in terms of height. And then also when they're hiding underneath the coffee table and the parks surprisingly come home and the parks, their couple is is sleeping on the couch and they have sex on the couch while they're underneath hiding underneath this coffee table, lower beings, basically lower social class. And another, another great example of elevation displaying social class is the giant rainstorm and basically this this horrible rainstorm floods their entire basement and starts at the parks house when they're hiding under the coffee table and and the kims they don't understand how serious this rainstorm is yet because to the park's perception it's basically just a nuisance it flooded the river during their camping trip they had to come home to their beautiful mansion house and just live indoors and and they could watch the rain falling on their beautiful lush gardens while their their child is sleeping inside the teepee in the backyard whereas when the kims escape they have to spend who knows how much time hours running home and running through the storm and throughout the entire sequence of them running home they're constantly going down in elevation they're going downstairs they're going down the highways they're going down more stairs more stairs and it's it's just like the water seeping through the sewer on the street of the park street the it's seeping down to the lower levels of the sewer system just like the the kims are going down to the sewer system basically which is their horribly impoverished neighborhood and in contrast with that to get to the park's house, you have to go up the elevation of the hill of the neighborhood. So you got to keep rising and rising. And even when you get to the property, you still have to go up a couple sets of staircases just to reach the level of the parks. So you have to elevate and rise up physically in order to reach the parks. Yeah, so Bungju brilliantly uses elevation to display the social class differences and hierarchical structure of this economy and social political system in South Korea. And the storm itself, I think is a, a representation of of life itself and how you can never escape life no matter what you do the storm also causes the kims to face the consequences of their actions um, because it washes away um, their plan and it washes away their scheme and they're left with um, the repercussions of what they've done to the couple in the basement and to the the parks and and how they've jeopardized their own lives in the process. And so the storm, I think, is life coming to hit you. And the storm shows the true contrast of the living situations of the Kim family and the Park family based upon how the storm affects them. So for the Kims, the storm ruined their lives. It destroyed their home and it made them homeless. And for the Parks, yeah, it canceled their camping trip, but... It also gave them the opportunity to have a nice little impromptu birthday party for their son. And you can see the contrast in the reactions when, especially when uh, Mr. Kim is running errands with um, the madam and they're in the grocery store and going to the to the liquor store. And she's talking about how beautiful the weather is because of the storm and how it made everything so nice and, and, and clean up the air. And she thinks that it was like a, a blessing in disguise that this storm happened because now it's such a beautiful day for the, her son's party. And Mr. Kim is right by her listening to all this, 
knowing that his home was destroyed by this water and by this flooding. And it shows how the higher class society, they don't really care about the concerns or problems of the lower class. And you can see the look on Mr. Kim's face. And, and King Osung is a, a fantastic actor. And he, he portrays this look perfectly where you can just see the, the despair and the rage that he's hiding from within while he's listening to Mrs. Kim, while he's listening to the madam um, talk about how pleasant things are now. Yeah, and I think because Bong Joon-ho is such a prominent voice in climate change, and he's put this in a lot of his films, I think he's using the storm to show the unequal um, repercussions of climate disasters and horrible stor storms. Like you said, the, the, the Kims are displaced from their home and they're sleeping in a gym with several hundred other people, whereas, like you said, the parks just, they have this beautiful day now that they get to to enjoy. Yeah, there's a great shot where the Kims are looking for clothes and a pile of clothes in that gymnasium. And while that's happening, Madam is going through her gigantic walk-in closet picking out an outfit for her husband. There's also another um, social divide situation that occurs a couple of times between uh, Mr. Kim and Mr. Park. And uh, Mr. Park talks about when they first have that first driving session how he talks about he doesn't like it when people cross the line. And they never really define what the line is, but you can insinuate that what Mr. Park means by crossing the line is that tries to cross the social barrier between them, where he tries. So, for example, he doesn't like it when um, Mr. Kim makes a little slight jab at whether or not Mr. Park loves his wife in that second driving session they have, and he says, hey, they almost crossed the line. And at the climax of the film, while they're dressed in the Native American attire, and um, Mr. Kim questions again that he that Mr. Park might not love his wife, that and then Mr. Park says that he's crossing the line. So what he's saying is that you're not an equal to me, so don't even try to speak to me like an equal because that would be crossing the line. Yeah, he's basically reminding him, he's like, you're doing this for money, so think of it as extra pay for your job. Yeah, so, so you're, you're not the same as me. Yeah. So that's what he means by crossing the line, and that's another... Uh, um, plot. That's another theme that's threaded throughout the film. One of the most interesting characters I think in this film is Gunsa, who's living in the basement of of the Park family, and he's like this original, you could say, most blatant example of a parasite in the film. And you know, he's the one who sneaks up to steal food in the middle of the night. He's the one that was the ghost that Da Song saw on his birthday night, the years before, when he uh, snuck into the refrigerator to eat his birthday cake. And there's this this theme I think of in a way, social death or he, he kind of doesn't exist as a person anymore because he's been hiding in that basement, in that bunker for so long. And it's it's not just from hiding, but also from his extreme poverty and the extreme debts that he's in. And that's obviously why he's hiding down there, but he kind of doesn't exist as a human being anymore in a way. It's, it's almost like he could have no name and he has odd behaviors like hitting the button to show respect in a way to Mr. Park, and he, he kind of worships Mr. Park as a godlike figure because he gets his well his food from him, and he shelters him. He's like, Mr. Park provides me with food, so I respect him, and he put, turns the lights on whenever Mr. Park walks up those opening staircases into the house. And it's in a way, like I said, it's like a social death or a death of a human being, and he kind of takes on this pers persona of a ghost because that's what Dasong thought he saw was a ghost, and they think a Madam almost thinks that there's a ghost maybe in the house and he is a ghost-like figure or like a ghost motif in a way. And I think that flickering light is an example showing that. And also, you, they, they reveal that um, he and his wife, Moon Guang, uh, I think that they weren't as destitute as the Kim family was. And they can't, they, they, you can see that they are actually better people because once they gain power in the situation for the short period of time, they they mock the Kim family for being so messy with that meal they had with like getting drunk and getting food everywhere because they say that they don't they have no respect for the artistry of the architecture design of this house and how they're disrespecting disrespecting the architect and they have no idea what art is and no respect for for um, honor or anything and and then they show like those quick little snippets of when in the past when the the couple when the Park family are gone, they would just sit in the living room and, and bask in the beauty of the yard and they would listen to the record player. And so it shows you that at first you, when you see these people, they, you, they, he presents them as like scary figures and um, people that you don't want to associate with because 
um, after she, when she returns, Gong, um, Moon Guang is she's all bruised and battered, and she seems super desperate. You don't know why, and it's kind of like scary in a way. You're like, is she gonna try and murder um, Chung Suk when she arrives? And she seems very erratic, and um, you it, he makes you kind of like look think less of her. You know what I mean? In the situation, the same thing with Oh Gunse, and so he presents them initially as how like the higher class view lower class people but then he reveals that they're actually very decent people and they were very good people and they were just doing what they could to survive and in many ways the kims are worse people than they were yeah if it wasn't for you could assume the debts that gunsuk collected in his life and that's the reason why he's hiding you could probably say that they you know were, were better people than, than the kims are and they, they weren't exactly conning their way into that house but in a way, they do live off the Park family like parasites, like the Kims eventually do. Mm -hmm. But it's the Kims who cross the line, and she calls—I think she calls them like repulsive people because of the way they con themselves into the room, into the house. Yeah, they, they view them as wor way worse than they are. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, the housekeeper talks about how she's like, "I thought it was weird when the driver lost his job, and then all these other people started to lose their jobs at the same time." and the, the methods that they use in terms of, of the peaches to to give her the fake tuberculosis and have her go into allergic shock and basically eventually kill her too. And, and just the way that uh, Chung Suk just kicks her down the stairs without hesitation. And I believe how the housekeeper says uh, that, that Chung Suk is such a nice person. She kicked me down the stairs. And so mm -hmm. I think that they're showing you right that they're much worse people than Gunso and his wife are. Yeah, because they're willing to do anything to survive, even lose their humanity. And so what makes this movie so great is its unpredictability. And as the second half is ending, you seem to have an idea of like, oh, this is what this movie's going to be. But then um, Moon Guang shows up, and then we meet the husband in the basement. And so it has this amazing twist at the end of the second half where the movie just completely takes a total turn and because becomes something else. And then right after that twist, we get another twist where uh, we learn that the parks are arriving in eight minutes. And so uh, Bong Joon-ho, like I said earlier, it, this movie slowly unfolds and it's very meticulous and it just takes about an hour, an hour or more to get to this point. But then when it hits this moment of the film, it is absolute chaos and it's, it's insanity and it, it, it really propels this movie into the stratosphere of being one of the most incredibly unpredictable movies you've ever seen. Yeah, it gets even more chaotic when after the giant rainstorm, after they've been displaced, they're all individually invited to the birthday party the next day. And this is the, the day after that they just tied up the people in the basement and they could have killed the housekeeper. They don't know that yet, They in which they eventually learn that they do. All these storylines and all these parasites who are all trying to live off of the same family are all coming together and crashing and... And we have the wild scene where, again, Kevin tries to take the, the viewing stone to go and kill the people in the bottom of the basement. He's going to kill them with it. And obviously he drops it down the stairs and they find him. And, and then Gunsu escapes. And Gunsu goes on the, on the, takes the knife, goes straight to the party and stabs Jessica right in the heart. And he tries to kill the entire Kim family. And it's such an interesting scene because this character, again, he's been in the basement for over four years. I feel like he has no humanity left. So he doesn't even... Think, about, think twice about walking through the house with a giant knife in front of all these people, these children, adults, having an enjoying a party, and just immediately stabs her right in the chest, and it's no hesitation at all. And it's also... Uh, it's that plus the death of his wife, which just completely destroyed his humanity. Yeah, and then that's, that's uh, responded with Mr. Kim takes the knife after Gunsu is killed by, uh, by Chung Suk, Mr. Kim, Mr. Kim then takes the knife and stabs Mr. Park in the heart. And I want to talk about why does Mr. Kim kill Mr. Park in this situation? I think it's because obviously he watches Mr. Park clench his nostrils because he can't bear the, the repulsive smell of this lower class citizen who he's getting the car keys from. He can't even look at him. And then Mr. Kim sees this and then he just takes the knife and stabs him. And I think this is Mr. Kim letting out all his decades long of frustrations with being a lower class citizen and having no money and having to to work for wealthy people and never even be able to like you said cross the line for even just a conversation that's exactly what i look at it too it's he represents the the frustration of the entire society of the lower class towards the high class where 
He's. I guess to this point where he's just sick of it and he wants to stop it and he wants to. He wants to cut the head off the dragon. And so he just. And plus, the, his, watching his daughter dying, it puts him in this bloodlust where he just wants to. He wants to put an end to it. And so that's why I think he stabs Mr. Park as well. Yeah, and again, you said earlier in the episode that you don't see them as villains, but this is obviously a villainous thing to do. It's not obviously good to kill people no matter what they've done to you in a way. Yeah. Especially just because they're wealthy and elite. Um, so I don't think that it's it's good to like act like Mr. what he, Mr. Kim did was justified. And then Mr. Kim, this is where he takes on the persona of the ultimate parasite where he hides in that under, under basement bunker and he becomes... What Gunso was, and he lives down there, giving out that Morse code, waiting for one day, maybe for his son to find, if his son ever recovers from his injuries. And like we said earlier, it is a, a sad ending. It's This movie, it, it has a lot of comedy. It's very funny. It's laugh out loud funny, but it's also extremely tragic. And Bong Joon-ho um, masterfully combines these two um themes and these two genres of a tragedy and a comedy in a brilliant way like you can't i can't think of many more movies that are horribly sad and yet insanely funny at the same time but he manages to, to walk this tightrope successfully you can interpret the ending how you want but you know kevin recovers from his injuries and he he finds the morse code that his father's leaving him while working these these low-paying jobs and being tailed by the police looking for Mr. Kim's whereabouts and he, he figures out and again the ending is not a happy one like like Anthony said earlier and it ends with the bookend of him still living in that semi-basement underneath the window view of the streets where that homeless man pees all the time want to move on to some parasite fun facts let's do it so scholar stones or landscape rocks are actually very common in Korea. I wasn't, I didn't know this when I first saw the movie. I thought it was like a very special gift, but a lot of people in that society collect these kinds of stones. Um, Bong Joon Ho's father collected them when he was younger, and that's why he included it into this film. Become it became a, a major fixture of Korean society. The violence at the end of the film at the birthday party is actually foreshadowed by Mrs. Park's table arrangement, which she has Chung Suk do which she models after the crane wing formation, a famous and deadly military maneuver of Korean naval hero Zin Su Shin. According to editor Jin Mo Yang, he edited the film on Final Cut Pro 7. If anyone's a, a videographer been using this, this was a program that was the best best you could use 10 years ago. So it Longer was, than that. It was very popular. I, I used it in college in, yeah. in the 2000, like in 2010, 2011. So this is a computer software that hasn't had an update since 2014. And he received an Oscar nomination for the editing of this film. That's crazy. Fincher used to use that back in the day for his early digital films. The Coens too. The Coen brothers. Cut, yeah. In the South Korean version of the film, Kim Jun makes Kim Woo a fake diploma for Yonsei University while in, inter while in the international versions... The fake diploma is for Oxford University. Bong Joon-ho felt that the international audiences need to understand the immaculate pedigree the fake resume promised. And this wraps our episode on Parasite. We really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Take care. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost podcast. Hit that subscribe button and notification bell. Listen to the audio formats of Raiders of the Lost podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast.